Who the Wild Things Are with Ryan McGuire. You gotta listen to your body. Oh my God, maybe, you know, I could get out there. I could do this. Let's take a ride. Find your wild side. Real stories. See with your own eyes. It's so beautiful. I'm gonna have the best time out here. Yeah, I was in tears. I was just like, that's the best, man. Welcome back to Who the Wild Things Are. My name is Ryan McGuire, and I'm here to bring you conversations with the most wild folks on the planet. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you enjoy the episode, share it with a friend. Appreciate you guys. Let's get it going. Like mm-hmm. the clock is a new addition because I never know how long we've been going. Oh, and sometimes yeah. you get deep and you come out and you're like, have we been here for six hours <laughs> or like 16 minutes? Totally. Uh, well, yeah, let's get it rocking. Mike, thank you so much for joining. I've wanted to have you on the pod for a long time. I think um, when I first saw your your content, I thought that must be the most well-dressed strongman I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. So uh, I just I think your story is really cool, and I think you've got a lot to share with the world. So I think maybe we'll just kick it off by you introducing yourself. Tell us you know, kind of who you are and what you might be known for. Okay, yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me here. I love your home and studio. And so uh, my name is Mike Idella. I'm a performance coach, I'm a lifetime athlete. Um, I don't really resonate with the term hybrid athlete, but that would definitely be what I do. I do a lot of different modalities. Um, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a partner. I'm an aspiring stepfather. <laughs> I'm not officially, but kind of acting that role now, um, which is great. And so yeah it's a little bit about who i am right on so tell us a little bit about the background how did you get involved in like the strength and conditioning world and where did where did that start out so i've always been a coach and i've always been an athlete like i was saying before and i started off doing college football well i guess even before that my mom always said i never met a ball that i didn't like so i was just constantly playing sports when i was younger and like thank goodness my parents would just shuttle me around from practice to practice and i was really fortunate in that type of way and so the only sport i never played was lacrosse Hmm. which i do have a little bit of a regret on but um it's fine i feel like we can make that happen yeah probably get on like i was thinking i have some buddies that play out out, um that play out here in colorado but let's see yeah, so my main two sports were basketball and football. Okay. And then I wanted to play football in college. And then after football, um, actually even before that, I learned about strength and conditioning in high school because mm-hmm. I was a quarterback and a corner in, in high school. And I really liked playing defense. I really liked being a corner. And <clears throat> like I led New York State interceptions my senior year and really enjoyed like being in open space. But then in college, since I was about six foot, maybe 195 in high school, um, when you go to college, the coach is like, well, you're going to gain probably 40 pounds by yeah. being here with strength and conditioning, eating, recovering, whatever. And so he's like, we're going to put you at Mike, middle linebacker. Hmm. And I was like, okay, sweet. I've like never played that before in my life. I'm going <laughs> to get eaten alive. Um, I need to get bigger and stronger. Sure. And so one of my buddies was working out with um, a coach named Mark Chasnov who taught him how to Olympic weightlift. Hmm. And I never knew what that was, but I went to mark's house and in his basement he had like what i didn't know at the time but like probably one of the best weight sets in the united states like elikio bars plates just like the nicest equipment that was all in his basement all dusty like from the 70s and 80s um and he had one platform and he taught me and this other kid how to weightlift. and we just used the bar the empty bar for about two months wow and he didn't let us put on any weight in terms of the skill of you know, snatching and clean and jerking, which is the sport of Olympic weightlifting. Um, we could squat, bench, um, and we never deadlifted, but we would do pulls, mm. which is essentially like a deadlift. And then after two months, the third month, started adding some weight to the bar and wound up clean and jerking 300 pounds. And over four months, gained like 35 pounds. Wow. Not of muscle, but a, mo- a lot of muscle and some fat. Um, and I was just eating everything. So he told me, he's like, if you want to get bigger, you just need to eat more food. And so he said, after your, after your regular meal at dinner, eat a full rotisserie chicken every night. And ah. so I just ate a chicken like every night okay. as a hungry 18-year-old, like wanting to get bigger for football, which was my life at the time. Um, 
and yeah, got a lot bigger and got a lot stronger. And that kind of takes you into this this role. I'm guessing you being an athlete kind of transitioned you into coaching athletes. Uh, was it more in the barbell area or were you a sports-specific athlete? Yeah, so the New York Jets came to my college for training camp my junior year. Okay. And um, I was fortunate enough to intern with their strength conditioning staff during that training camp. It was a few months in the summertime. And they've never had an intern before. And so I was very young, like very hungry, wanting to be the best strength and conditioning coach that I could be. Like that was my dream. Um, and so, <clears throat> you know, get to the facility at 5 a.m., leave at 9 or 10 p.m. And they never had an intern before. So they're like, you're not an intern, you're a coach. Go coach LaDainian Tomlinson how to do kettlebell swing. Go coach Antonio Holmes how to do, you know, his PT stuff. Like, just right into the fire like wow going for it and of course and for folks that, that don't know these are like legitimate superstar football players yeah yeah like pro bowlers that, yeah. that year they had a bunch of pro bowlers um which was so cool because they would take you know i was get to meet these guys who are my idols and then get to actually work with them and um yeah so that then the next year i continued to work with with the jets and then i went out to california and interned at a place called athletes performance which is now exos which at the time had they trained the top like for the past eight years the people who have run the fastest 40-yard dash at the nfl combine wow and so they were really known for breaking down the science of the nfl combine like how to increase your 40 your vert your shuttle your bench all of those aspects and so top division one or two or three whatever athletes that were expected to do well or be invited to nfl combine would go to this facility and every step that they take is calculated everything they put in their mouth is calculated every weight that they lift is calculated so that they can get you know tenths of a second faster on their 40 which will equate to millions of dollars on a contract Mm because if someone comes in running a four seven and then they leave running a four four and they're a linebacker that's going to drastically improve their stock and then they're going to make more money their agents are going to be happy it's like investment and so Um, I was lucky when I was young, I was 22, learning and watching like J.J. Watt or Julio Jones run a 40 and being able to pick out like the inaccuracies within their movement patterns and developing my coaching eye, like mm. athletes that fast. Um, and then I went back to New York and managed and eventually like co-owned um, a strength and conditioning facility. Um, and then that took, and it was really fun getting athletes like bigger, faster, and stronger. Yeah. What I really loved was what I call the moment from the field house to the weight room. So a lot of times with athletes, they'll do their speed work first, and then, you know, they'll change, walk into the weight room and do their workout. And in that middle period was, you know, when they, you hear about life, you hear about like they broke up with their girlfriend or they're struggling with this or their family struggles or whatever's happening. And that more like heart-centered space is what I really loved working with them on. And so it was fun getting them bigger, faster, and stronger. But I wound up um, leaving that job and going on what I called an alternative graduate studies program. Okay. Where I just traveled the world studying what makes people happy and healthy. Um, And that's a lot of the work that I do now as a, I call it peak performance coach, which um, is basically helping people live a life that they're proud of. And when you were coaching, you know, superstars and you were a young kid, did you have imposter syndrome? Because I feel like if I was there and I'm teaching these people how to be like super fast or super strong and I haven't yet uh, necessarily done it myself, mm-hmm. I feel like I would have such a hard time like coaching anyone else to, to do these things. Was that ever something that popped up? Um, it definitely has in the past. But the thing with coaching is that <clears throat> different from like consulting, which is like consulting's I did this. Now I'm going to teach you what I did. Mm. Coaching's more of observing what's happening and then being able to give like very distinct feedback that then that athlete in this case can then make an adjustment on. Interesting. And so it's more of like being an objective third party observer. Like they can't see themselves running. And so they don't know that their third step is short and that they need to increase their shin angle so they can get more velocity out of their third step that's going to help increase whatever the time that they're trying to run. Fascinating. So, <clears throat> it's similar to, um, I just read Rick Rubin's new book, Creative okay. Act, and he's a music producer yep. and he is not a musician and he doesn't know a lot of like the intricacies of how to make music, but he knows how to hear the music that he likes and give feedback that relates to the artist. Is he the most fascinating character that's alive? 
Yeah, probably. I mean, he, he is like... He's a legend. <laughs> he is something else. I listen to his podcast with Rich Roll, and I'm like, this guy just... He has something else that most people don't have. Yeah, I think he cuts to the heart, which is what is really lacking in mm. today's society in a lot of ways. It's something I look up to it with you about, like getting back to nature, more heart-centered approach to your life. And it's something I aspire to do myself and then to help... Um, you know, the people that I work with to move into that space. And <clears throat> it started with athletes, but I still work with athletes, but mostly it's just type A individuals who have like tried to grind so hard in a specific mm-hmm. aspect and have lost touch with themselves in a, in a type of way. I'm as guilty as anyone of that. I know that for sure. Like I'll pursue something so hard that I end up coming uh, either beating myself up too much or rubbing someone the wrong way or losing sight of focus of what the actual goal is because I'm so achievement focused and sometimes that can be to your detriment Mm -hmm. it's interesting so the guys that are coming to you are most of them aren't athletes at this point they're they're focusing on other types of success is that Mm -hmm. correct yeah what kind of stuff uh what's like a common struggle that would come up when someone would approach you as a coach um they feel overwhelmed they feel distracted they don't have a lot of clarity they've been living what i call the shoulds right like Mm -hmm. i should make more money i should have this job i should have a better relationship with my wife or my family and they lose touch with what it is that they truly desire Uh they kind of live that like american dream but it's not their dream necessarily or it was for a certain time but now there's space for a new dream Mm -hmm. and they don't quite understand how to get that dream like off the ground or even see what that dream could be they're shitting all over themselves I should talk about the shits every single day, man. It's like, it's a pandemic, it's an epidemic, (laughs) not a pandemic, it's an epidemic of there's so many things in our world that are telling us what we should be doing. Like you go on social media, it's like, you should have six pack, you should run ultra marathon, you should be super strong, you should make a ton of money. And when people get caught up in that world, it just pulls them farther away with like, again, what Rick Rubin would call like their antenna, right? Like their truth. And so you're trying to live like other people's truth, which then you're never going to actually be able to achieve. So you're farther from your own level of integrity, which then really depletes your level of confidence, which makes it harder to come back in the beginning and take action or even listen to the thing that you truly want. I feel really lucky because I have, I don't know, whatever things happened in my life. I've been given like a very clear mission. I want to be outside. I want to move my body, focus on nature and personal health and that sort of thing. What do you do if you're someone that doesn't have that thing? If you don't have that focus, how do you find that focus? Or how would you coach someone through finding that purpose? Yeah. So um, one way I like to go about it is this is where like the work comes into place where it takes first space to be able to allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. And so the first aspect of coaching is getting clear on what it is that you value and then eliminating the other things. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to find your purpose, but then you're also inputting all these shoulds from the outside world, it's making that job a lot harder. Mm -hmm. It'd be like if you didn't want to drink alcohol, but you were sitting in the bar, you know, it's just get out of the bar and then we can start to work on these other aspects. And so the one exercise I love to do is writing down 30 things that you've ever been curious about. And the way you know if you're curious about is <clears throat> if you wouldn't mind listening to a podcast about it, reading about it, watching a 10-minute video or a t- listening to a talk about it, and writing that down in as much detail as possible. Mm. And so, for example, instead of writing like, I'm curious or interested in food, I'm curi- you would write like, I'm curious in the types of tomatoes used to make the best, you know, Italian pizza possible. And so you can really dive into all of the different types of tomatoes and the skin and the knives that are used to cut them and the cutting board that's used to cut them and just like the, all of those intricacies. Yeah. And so you have these 30 things and then you break those down and look at, okay, where are the cross, where are the similarities between some of these 30 things and how can I put those together, match it with something I really care about, which is like, a big problem that I see in the world, which for you is probably people not spending enough time out in nature and then mixing those things together. And that creates your purpose. Mm, that's and then you really get cool creative tool. around like ways to implement that. Sure. Or finding businesses you can join or creating other things that you can join by yourself. And yours, you've probably applied this in your own life as some collection of finding out how people think and work and, also the passion for helping men 
mm-hmm. and then you've kind of combined those into okay my purpose is helping men work on their own thought processes and their approaches totally yeah there's a great great quote by mary oliver and i'm gonna butcher exactly what it is but it's like you have to let the soft animal of yourself love the things that you love mm. and i think a lot of people should and try to love or like other things that aren't true to them and they just creates a lot of internal angst and so when you can allow yourself to love the things that you love it creates so much ease and you feel better about the work that you're putting out into the world and other people can feel that and they feel better about it and they they develop a deeper trust and relationship with you as well yeah and also giving yourself the ability the ability to have the things you care about change because i know for me that has came and gone like there's certain things that meant a lot to me 10 years ago that don't mean as much to me now mm-hmm. and I feel like right now in my life I have that happen as as much as anything else is what I really care about completely changes and sometimes you want to hold on to it and not let that let that go because it's part of your identity mm-hmm. but you're like allowing yourself to have a completely new aspect or passion in your life and that's really important yeah I would say like that what it looks like might change, but the overarching theme probably doesn't change as much. Yeah. And so I try and get people like when they align their values to look at the, t- the time that they're spending doing their activities. And so <clears throat> I'll say like, you know, show me your calendar and I'll show you your values mm. to be able to see while you're spending that most valuable asset of your time. And, <clears throat> you know, if the business and the impact you want to create in the world, like that might change a little bit, but the time that you're going to spend doing that might also change. Um, I guess a better example would be if you value your health and wellness, how you're going to go about doing that might change. Like you might go on a strongman type of training program, then you might go on an ultra marathon training program, then you might go on a mountain biking training program if they're all under the umbrella of health and wellness. Yeah. It's like that value isn't necessarily changing, but the way that it shows up in your life might. And you've kind of embodied that little change. Yeah, because I use some of mine. (laughs) (laughs) I guess on that, since you brought it up, Mm -hmm. there was a a video that I just saw you you do the other day, which was the, I think it was the world record, right? Oh, the the two hands anyhow. Two hands anyhow, which is like, I I really like your style with the fitness stuff because like they're more obscure things that maybe not everyone even thinks about. They're Mm -hmm. not like the cookie cutter stuff and i really like that approach so how did you get onto this <laughs> pursuit of like ancient records yeah so the two hands anyhow is a lift that was really common maybe like 150 years ago or 100 years ago they call it the bronze age of strength a strongman <clears throat> which is like the late 1800s early 1900s and essentially you pick up two weights um you have to well it's more of how it finishes right so you have to finish with holding two weights or more overhead and the weights aren't connected like a barbell. And so you can do that anyhow, any way you want to go about it. Some people would pick up a kettlebell, then they would pick up another kettlebell, transfer it over when it's overhead, then pick up another kettlebell, oh. put three in one hand, and then lift one up. Like you could really get creative on how you go about lifting the maximum weight. Okay. And so I like the puzzle, right? The puzzle for me brings me into a flow state, which is like the state of peak performance where which I'm trying to match the skill that I have with the challenge that's in front of me. And so the challenge is how much weight overhead. And then I have different skills. Like I'm really good at keeping my arms straight. Mm. I have a lot of power with my body from my Olympic lifting days. And so I kind of mix those two skills together to meet that challenge. Mm. And the, what was the total weight? 375. And that was 300 on a barbell Mm -hmm. in one hand. Yeah. And then a 75 pound kettlebell. Yeah. That's pretty. Yeah. It's it's okay. I could probably do better, (laughs) but I just haven't tried it yet. Once I try it, I'm sure I'll do better. It's one of those things that is, um, it's just very technical. Like, um, it's it's really, really technical for me, at least with like the way that barbell needs to be. Mm. But again, going back to how I learned it, I learned it from a technicality standpoint. So, when I learned when I was 17, 18, 18 years old, like the bar was treated like a samurai would treat a sword. Like you never put your foot on the bar. You never like walk in front of someone on the platform. Everyone else sat down. There was no phones. It was a very like conscious, like meditative type of space when you were lifting. And so 
taking that same attention into the two hands anyhow now is that if that bar is like a millimeter off topic yeah. it's gonna fall yeah and so just being able to consistently keep it in that same pattern get my hand into the right spot reach down build that muscle memory then it was able to i was able to do it did you have any moments where like you you so i guess you clean it you jerk it and then you're trying to get the the one arm did you have any moments where it was like just came crashing down and everything was a disaster um one time yeah so my bar at home is a little bit bent and so like kind of getting it in the right spot on my hand is tricky so I, yeah like you said clean it up jerk it overhead and try to do that quick because the whole lift yeah. takes 30 seconds and you know that bar is just barreling down on you at all times like right when you start to pick it up off the ground you're having to use your body to keep it in the air yeah and so it's at the it's on your chest you push it overhead you kind of pop your hand over and you're trying to get your hand in the right spot sure and if it's like a millimeter off you know you have to say okay am i just going to drop this and try it again or do i waste some energy trying to get it back into the right spot um but one time it went a little bit forward into my thumb and just like all the way came down to my thumb but i just pulled my thumb away it just came to the ground and it, there was no no injuries no big explosion no and I actually had someone write on instagram the other day um like hating on the lift a little bit like that's Ooh. just gonna cause a ton of pain like pain or that's stupid you're gonna hurt yourself and i'm like them you might hurt yourself like that makes sense <laughs> but it's almost like like anything someone does like if you go out and run 100 miles for you that's like pushing you but relatively safe because you have experience doing that and you understand the risks and how to mitigate them and how to be responsible in that sense if i went out and tried to run 100 miles i've never done that before and so right now it probably wouldn't be the most safe thing for me but as you start to expose yourself to those different stresses you gain more knowledge and then it really becomes safe but it might look unsafe to someone else sure and i guess on that topic you're not only pursuing the strongman stuff now you're also pursuing the ultra route yourself what's uh what's on the calendar this year in terms of like long distance running so um my partner kelly and i are gonna do a hundred kilometer run in zion in april together and so we run the whole race virtually side by side that's amazing. What is that like when you guys finish together? That's unbelievable. We've only done it one other time, um, a fifty a fifty k in Moab, and the emotions like seeing the finish line, getting towards the finish line, crossing the finish line, were like nothing I've ever experienced before. I I can only imagine. I've done it myself, and I have that same like overjoyed feeling when I see my crew. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never done it with somebody side by side. That seems like it'd be a pretty special and, and rare moment. Yeah, it's super special. I mean, it's uh, we have this analogy when we're running because spending you know hours together working out, and so uh, we obviously love each other and care about each other. But like anyone in relationship, sometimes you want you need some space. Yep. And so we have this analogy of changing the channel. And so if one of us is talking about something and the other person's like. I needed to like change the station. We just say, can we, let's just change the station. Let's go next topic. <laughs> or <laughs> let's turn the radio off for a little bit and just like kind of hang out. And that Our last race was like six hours. This one's going to be more than double that probably. And so um, we didn't have any like music or headphones or anything in on the last one. And I don't think we will on this one either, but we're just going to need some more channels yeah. to, to switch from. Yeah. I'm hoping to uh, to join you guys down there. I think Heck yeah. Know. As long as the foot is feeling good, I'm yeah. planning on planning on making my way down there. Amazing. It's going to be really beautiful. Yeah. Zion, it's right outside, right? It's not in the park. It's outside the park? I think it's right outside the park, yeah. And you guys, this is the 50K that you did before, or you did a different 50K? Um, we're doing 100, 100K in Zion, and we did a 50K together in Moab. Okay. And with ultra running, I know you talk a lot about flow state in general. Mm-hmm. Is ultra running one of those things where you find flow or is it because the time domain has increased so much that you're kind of tapping into something else? That's a good question. Um, there's definitely aspects of it that I'm in flow. And I think like it's a really long challenge. And yeah. so it's being, you know, I can't say that I'm like dialed in in that state of flow the entire time, but I'm able to move in and out of that. Um, 
over the course of that long race? Mm. Oh, yeah, I would say it's something else. It's a good question. Yeah, I, maybe we got to dive into that and think about what the, what do you call like a long-term flow or like, mm-hmm. it's, maybe that's more meditation at that point because it's, yeah, there's less stimulus than maybe a normal flow. Like bike riding, you're going downhill, you're super focused in the moment. Ultra's not like that for the whole, mm-hmm. you know, 15 hours. You're kind of in space thinking about something else for a minute and then you come back and then you're eating and then you're running. Yeah, it's a lot more. I think it may be even, it might be like a bunch of micro, micro flow moments. Cause I'm not, when I'm running, I'm like getting to the next aid station or getting to the next marker or the next mile. I'm like constantly breaking up the, you know, the 62 miles that I have to run into small increments that seem more manageable. Sure. And then accomplishing that, gaining confidence from it. Almost, I almost kind of feel myself like like a little Mario character, just like cool confidence, bam. Okay, let's <laughs> keep going. Da, 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 da. Got some more, dang. Like, you know, keep moving along in that kind of way, and so that's kind of keeps it engaged, I guess, for the long run. What led you to want to do ultra marathons? Like coming from a strongman background, this is totally out of your wheelhouse. It's not your not your natural. Uh, like you're not a 135 pound you know what do you mean what are you talking about (laughs) just saying (laughs) but what what led you to uh to pursue the long distance runs um i think i wanted to get into something that i was not great at you know i like going i like testing the extremes and then like settling somewhere in the middle and so just like unofficially set this record and some strongman thing and then the day after go out for 11 mile run Mm -hmm. and then like you know get a whole new challenge in that it's like i'm really and interested in what that challenges and like what I can experience from that. And so running long distances has been something that historically I've always shied away from. Sure. Um, and I've not enjoyed, but it's been something that I am enjoying the challenge of, you know, more and more, and especially that time outside the sun, like a lot of the seemingly simple things really do a ton for me. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people don't understand with the ultra world is you're not just getting the running, you know, it's not going to a a gym and running on a treadmill you're getting you're basically handcuffing yourself into a ton of time on the trails and nature because you know that in order to prepare for that 60 100 mile bout i've got to be on my feet a couple times for two three four five six hours beforehand Mm -hmm. and get really comfortable with uh what it feels like to be on my feet for that long what it feels like to run in the dark what it feels like to fuel on the go you know you're you're getting used to all this stuff out in nature versus just running on a treadmill yeah i don't think i've ever run on a treadmill maybe Mm. like like maybe when i was really young but like definitely not in the past decade i don't think i've ever run on a treadmill how are you breaking down your ultra training like if someone was where you were just a couple years ago no experience in the running world what would be kind of your advice to them go slow (laughs) yeah run really slow that's something that um, i didn't understand in the beginning and i ran my first um, two 50 milers at an average heart rate of 170 wow and just like annihilated my adrenals um and they were in the same month um and so i'm proud that i like mentally like and physically made it through that but it was a lot of wear and tear on you know my body and and my hormones in a lot of ways and so now i really adopted like the zone running training where um i just did my lactate threshold test yesterday nice and so i have my new numbers and i can kind of go off of um you know my heart rate to see what area of energy i'm using whether it's like fat or carbohydrates or a combination of both so i can do the running recover from the running and it doesn't just completely annihilate me like it used to do in the past so for people that aren't familiar with tries or long distance what's lactate uh Mm. testing and training and why would one person be interested in testing their lactate yeah so i'm by no means an expert in this but this is what from my understanding um your body once you once your heart rate reaches a certain beats per minute your body releases lactate into the bloodstream and once that lactate's released into the bloodstream it builds up lactic acid which then creates like heavy muscles or tired legs or starts to wear you down yeah. and so when you're running for you know at multiple hours at a time you want to avoid that feeling because it you'll bonk which is basically run out of energy and then have to stop the race or really really slow down a ton and it becomes 
you know, more difficult to continue. And so the goal is to be able to run without releasing that lactate into your bloodstream, depending upon the length of running that you're going to do. So you're typically approaching it, you're getting your number, and then you're wearing a heart rate monitor during all your runs to kind of see if you're falling in that range? Yeah, and I'm wearing a, a chest strap with the heart rate monitor, not just the watch. The um, watches are, are not accurate. Not, no, it's literally not worth it at all. Like, I don't know how, how people can just wear the watch and not the heart rate strap and then think that that's accurate. Yeah, for me, it's like I, I tested, I've had two watches now. I usually don't really end up wearing them, obviously, but I find that I just go off kind of intuition and perceived exertion. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's not a science. I've also never done the lactate threshold and maybe you could convince me to do it. I think just because it costs money, I don't, I don't do it, but I just use like the relative exertion as kind of my gauge. And I try and stay in that conversational zone where if I could run right now and hold a conversation like we are right now, and mm -hmm. sometimes I'll even talk to myself oh, like yeah. to test it. I'll, I'll, I'll try and say like the pledge of allegiance or I'll try and say something. And if I have to keep on stopping, then I know I'm definitely not in my zone two rate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, from the research I've done, you want to stay as close to the top end of your zone two without going into what you call the gray zone, like zone three, where you're not able to recover and you're not able to get that metabolic stimulus to like the mitochondria of your cells that can really adapt and help you create more efficient energy when you're trying to run a long way. And so um, being able to kind of know like really where that line is, that's a great test, the talk test is to kind of play with that line. Um, but if you go over that for too long, which is really easy to do, at least for me, if I'm not conscious of it, because yeah. it's hard for me to be conscious of like when my heart, when my heartbeats are at like 147 to 153, like that can kind of feel similar, like 170 feels a lot different than that. But if I've just spent five minutes in my zone three, then I've released all that lactate into my bloodstream mm. and then my body can't clear that as well. And so it's going to eventually lead to those tired legs and kind of groggy feeling that I already am naturally feeling as I'm trying to run around with 220 pounds on the trail. How do you manage that when you're running with Kelly? If you guys are, you guys are running together, it's very harmonious. You're through the, you know, fields and one person feels like they're skipping and having a good time. The other person's just like completely out of breath. Like, does that ever happen where you aren't in synchronicity? Um, well, no, not necessarily. We go to the whoever's, we just go to the lowest heart rate, right? And, or the highest heart rate. Okay. So if I'm running and my heart rate starts to get to the top end of my zone two and hers is lower, then she'll go at a pace that works for me and vice versa. Okay. So, and it's kind of back and forth for you guys. Mm -hmm. It's not always necessarily like one person's heart rate's always lower. Yeah, it's okay. not. Interesting. It and, depends on like the terrain usually. Okay. And for the average person, you know, if they're not going to get their lactate threshold tested, how would you, isn't there, there's some kind of way to like shorthand it, right? Oh yeah. I mean, we didn't get it tested in a lab. We, you can just go out for a run. So what we did was, and we're working with a coach that we got off of the website training peaks Okay. and um, you can Google this and read. There's many different ways to test your lactate, but the, the tried and true one is to do an efficient warm up for like five minutes or so, kind of get your heart rate up into that zone three or four, um, which would be like 160 ish plus beats per minute. Um, I'm 33 years old, so around that age bracket. And then run as hard as you can for 30 minutes at a sustained pace. And so you don't want to go out too fast and then have to drastically slow down, but you want to run 30 minutes as fast as you can, like it was a race. Okay. And then take your average heart rate of that time. And that is the, that's like your lactate threshold. And for some athletes, you might want to do 45 minutes, maybe like max an hour, depending on how conditioned you are. Like you probably be fine with 45 minutes. Um, we were told to do 30 minutes. I probably could have gone 45 with what I had. Um, and then that number is, you take that number and you multiply it by 0.8 and by 0.9, and mm. that would be your zone two. Hmm. The and 0.8? Oh, okay. The 0.8 of your lactate. Would be the lower end. Like the lower end of your zone two. And 0.9 would be the, the top end. end. Yeah. Okay, so during your runs, you're kind of shooting for that 0.9 without going over it. Yeah, depending on the stimulus of the run, but most of the runs I'm doing 
are going to be in that range. And so for me, I can maintain a super high heart rate for a long time. Like my heart rate can stay at 182 for about an hour. Okay. Which um, like our friend Eric Hinman, his max heart rate, I think, is like 170 something. But he can keep his heart rate at like a one, you know, 30, 30. Or one for a long time. Yeah. And be running really fast. Like if my heart rate was at 130, I'm walking. <laughs> like, and so it just depends on what your body has been conditioned to do and the type of training you've you've done. I've done a lot of anaerobic training, and so I can <clears throat> I can maintain that higher heart rate. And so my zone two is going to be really high, like one. I just did the numbers yesterday. I think the high end is like 161, and then my bottom end is like in the high 140s. Gotcha. And I think this is, it's such a good message for folks, especially getting into it, because now folks look at Strava, and they're like, oh, that guy's running like a seven-minute pace. That guy's running a 6.30 pace. And you really start to feel weird about publishing your zone two runs because, oh, my zone two is 9.30 pace. My zone two's 11-minute mile pace. And it gets into like this weird psychological game where people don't want to uh, share their times because they're scared that other people are going to judge them. And we've like adopted this like weird culture into running where it's, I feel like it could be really dangerous. So I always say if you're getting into running, turn that little button on who can see into just you. Mm. just you don't you don't need to publish your runs to everybody when you're getting into running because what's going to happen is you're going to blow yourself out of zone two you're going to be like oh i can't let everyone see that i'm running this slow so i'm going to run way harder and ultimately you're not going to get any faster because you're just constantly burning yourself up i think that's a great tip i think that's um also like a little bit of like a band-aid on the thing of like really working to just be honest with where you're at sure. and not allowing yourself to compare. But it is super hard to do that. I mean, yeah. I'll help people. I <clears throat> started running a 16-minute mile when uh, when I started my Zone 2 training. And that was in 2023 or 2022. Wow. And so now I'm in like the high nines, low tens. Um, but yeah, I definitely was like, what the heck? I'm fit. I like, why is my – I can do other things really well why am I not good at this? And the reason is I've never done it before. Like, mm. And I think with running specifically, it's so easy to compare to other people because everyone, not everyone, but most people can run. Yeah. Whereas like the two hands anyhow, like most people have no idea to how to comprehend what 300 pounds overhead with one arm would even feel like. Like they might have never even lifted one thing over their head and even know how much weight that is. Or if you lift up a 50 pound dumbbell over your head, to know like 50 pounds to 300 pounds, like I don't know the range there. Whereas running, you can sprint and maybe your full on sprint is what someone else is able to do for a whole marathon. Yeah. And so it can throw you off kind of in that way. Yeah, it's hard because you feel like you could get there, right? And so you're like, hmm, I could get there. I could be as good as that person versus with you, it's like, well, I'm not even going to attempt that. So I'm not going to compare myself <laughs> to Mike doing this. But there's so much more comparison with running, like you said, because we can all do it. Have you seen the the Kipchoge challenge where... <laughs> On the treadmill? Yeah, you run yeah. as fast as you or as fast as he ran it for the whole time. Yeah. I want to try that. I still haven't haven't done it. But I just, I hate treadmills, honestly. I do not like them. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, like I've said, I don't think I've ever been on a treadmill in the past. I can't remember the last time I've been on a treadmill. Actually... At my friend Matthew Bickle's house, he has one of those um, curved treadmills. Yeah, the salt runners. The salt runners. And, like, um, over over COVID, like, we would go out there and walk and, like, trot and talk and stuff together. I like the salt runner more than I like the, uh, the motorized ones. Part of me feels weird about treadmills because couldn't, in theory, now, couldn't you put it on, like, a low speed and jump? And you would technically be walking. Yeah. Right. So it, it, I don't know. It makes me feel weird because you don't actually have to advance. You could simply be moving upwards. And then I get in my head about that. I'm like, am I actually running this fast or is this easier because I'm just elevating myself off the treadmill and relanding? Yeah. I mean, there's something with like locomotion too. With that, there's been some cool studies done with people that do br does bring a lot of joy. Like when your vestibular mm -hmm. system, when your ears and can feel the wind and can feel that motion, it does impact the way that you feel about what you're doing, which is why people love biking, running, surfing, skiing, things that they're 
you know, human powered moving themselves, even non-human power, like motorcycles or, or whatnot. Yeah, I feel another one is just getting from place to place using your own body's power. That's one of the coolest things about ultra running or doing a walkabout or backpacking or anything like that is like, wow, I really just made significant progress, moved from one environment through another environment and ended up in a completely different third place, all using my own human power. And for a Mm -hmm. lot of people, they go their whole life without feeling that because we're so adapted to cars and machinery. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the ultras. Um, I've never run a marathon. I've never run an official half marathon or I don't think I've even run a 10K, but I've run a couple ultras. And I think like the expectation of speed is really helpful because you're not running fast. Like some of the best ultra runners in the world will walk during a lot of their races. Sure. And so um, once I recognized that, it took a lot of pressure off of having to like run really fast. It's more about maintaining a speed and just constantly moving. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of going through on that practice, which I really like. I like that long challenge. <clears throat> I like the time with myself. I like to be outside. It feels like a more exploratory experience than like I'm just running, take a right, running, take a right, running, you know, take, that's it's a lot more uh, experiential than than maybe like a marathon would be. Yeah, I mean, I'll you make an analogy to like strength training. Like I do that called I really struggle with this where I'm taking my finger and just going like up and down, which would be like squats, bench press, deadlift, just like movement textures are just like repetitive and up and down. I I struggle with those because it would feel similar to me, like with the running of just like making the right, making the right, making the right. I want to experience it. I want to challenge it. I want to play within that. And of course, the more, the more strength you have from doing that, like, you know, those um, great strength movements, the more tools you have to play with. Yeah. And same thing with running, like, the more fit you are, the farther you can run, the more you can enjoy it. Um, but now I definitely like to use my fitness rather than just like continue to get stronger. And like, <clears throat> I ask the question a lot in many different instances, like what is enough? And mm-hmm. one I had to ask myself with strength is like, what is enough? Like how much greater is my life going to be impacted if I confront squat 405 versus 315? Yeah. That's true. Do, do you see yourself adding the like performance stuff you're doing now, like back into your life in terms of coaching or is the coaching going to always revolve around like more heart centered stuff? I think a lot of the stuff we are talking about is heart centered. It's just defining what it is. Mm. And so um, I hope people come up with like develop their own values. And then based on what they value, I can offer different suggestions from some experiences that I've had or some things that they might like to explore. But especially if someone's not sure with what it is that like brings them joy or what they like, they need to experiment with new things. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a young kid. Like I was saying before, I live with a six-year-old. And if I said, <clears throat> you know, do you want to go to swim lessons? He's like, I don't know. Never done it before. Like, let me try it and then see how it feels. And so take kind of take that same approach with some of my clients like have you ever gone to a cooking class have you ever gone to a paint class have you ever gone rock climbing have you ever tried running like start to explore with these different activities and then check in with yourself and see how you feel when you're a young kid it's really easy right like you have those feelings they come up right away there's no shame in expressing them yeah as we get older the shoulds are louder and then you know we can move away from what it is that we truly want to do Mm, that's a great point When you think about, or if you were a student and you were going to go look for a mindset or peak performance coach, somebody to help you explore or uh, alter the path of your life, what are the things that you should be looking for in a coach? I'm completely unfamiliar. So I'm like, if I was looking for a coach, what would I look for? Because there's so many out there now. What's the best way? Um, It depends what you want to be coached in, what you want to be coached on. So getting clear on what is that you want to improve, like, for me personally, I don't shit on people. I don't tell them what to do. Mm. I help people uncover what it is that they want to do. And mm. I do that through like direct questioning, listening, different types of frameworks that then they have those like, oh, yeah, never thought of it like that. Okay, cool. And then I say, all right, great. Well, do you want to take action towards that? Yeah, I do. What kind of action do you want to take? Oh, I want to do this. Great. When do you want to do that? And you just keep, keep pushing a little bit, keep moving people you're not you you can't move them but you can help them move themselves yeah and in my opinion that's a, a great coach if i'm telling someone what to do or if someone's telling you what to do 
and saying you have to live if you want to feel great you have to live life in this way mm. um they're just shooting on you they're in some way like manipulating you yeah. in order to do something either it's like sell a product or i don't know whatever motive that they have yeah it's usually like a positive one but um I don't think that it's positive when you're telling other people how to live their life. Sure. Yeah, it's it's a interesting thing. I think about it in my life. My, you know, if I was a coach, I'd be like, everyone go out in the woods and, you know, have less materialistic um, things around you. And, and you should, you know, go run and <laughs> wear hippie sandals. It's like that's not going to get everyone where they want to be everyone has kind of a different destination that they're they're aiming for so i like the idea of just kind of asking people what they want and helping them get there it's kind of not exactly how i pictured coaching but it makes a lot of sense yeah i think that's a struggle that's in the industry is a lot of coaches will learn something and then they'll be they'll have like that beginner's mindset around it where they're like this is the best thing ever everyone has to do this 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 or that and then they'll like project a lot of that onto other people mm. versus like for you just sharing stuff that has worked for you and that you're interested in and so i'm sure you had some type of problem like ryan 10 years ago had some type of problem learned of these different techniques they really helped you and then you can share that with the world mm. and talk to the person who might have those similar problems to you and then help create different outlines or plans for them that you know might get them the results they're looking for that's interesting i could never be a coach but if i was that sounds like <laughs> a great a great way to start what's uh what's the worst as as a student you being the student what's mm -hmm. the worst piece of advice you've ever gotten um okay worst piece of advice i've ever gotten was um if you're 50% sure that you want to marry this person, then you should marry them. Then <laughs> <laughs> can you say who you got that from? I don't remember his name. No, it was at, uh, oh, I don't remember who it was. That seems kind of dangerous, if super I'm being honest. Dangerous, super dangerous. I think it was coming from a good place of a lot of people, um, at least in a relationship realm, it's very hard to like, do work be vulnerable put yourself out there um and so you know naturally as human beings we're kind of wired to like to like find the fear yeah and to like not allow ourselves to maybe go for the health or happiness that we really want and that can show up a lot of times in relationship where we'll make up stories about someone else to protect their own ego mm. and i think he was more talking to that like don't make up stories to protect yourself like trust the way that you're feeling about someone interesting so i think we could probably talk about this for all day but i'm gonna hit you with just a couple questions <laughs> wrapping up the one thing i'm curious about because you have so many uh different records and achievements and things like that what do you want to do more of or see yourself what do you want to see yourself do more of in 2023 mm. I want to see myself serve serve more people. Mm. Yeah, I really love the coaching work that I get to do. Like when people reach out to me and are vulnerable with something that they're struggling with and I get to help create more clarity for them so that they feel empowered to go take the action in their life that they want to live, that is like the most fulfilling and deeply rewarding thing that I could ever have. Mm. More than any money or success or world record or anything like that. And so really double down on that. Um, this year and hopefully for the rest of my life I think you have just like such a way with words and explaining that and it just feels it feels so well-intentioned I feel like when I hear a lot of people like I'm a coach I'm gonna tell you how to fix your life and it's like <laughs> yours is just coming from a completely different place and it feels a lot more trustworthy and 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 enthusiastic while also being genuine it's yeah. not like overemphasized or I'm better than you it's just I'm here to help you so, I mean, I don't have the answers for you. I don't know what your best life is, but I love asking questions and learning more about it. And then I care about you. I mean, you're bad, probably a bad example because you're my friend. So I am like a little bit emotionally invested in your life. But um, I really want you to be the best you that you can be, not the best version of you that I want you to be, mm. if that makes sense. And a lot of times when we'll ask our partner or our family for advice or a question, they 
are usually well-intentioned, but will mm-hmm. give us the best answer that they want for us to maintain, for us to be in the box that they've created for us. Yeah. And as we grow and expand out of that box, it can threaten them them in a certain way and then leads to you know us not being able to lead the life that we really want to live. Mm-hmm. And so as a coach, I'm not emotionally invested in your life. I can be an objective third party that just kind of helps you see things for what they are. And then you can see the things for what they are and you're not like emotionally driven in it. And then you can make easier decisions on that. That's a great point. Yeah. I've seen that surface in my life before where someone's giving you a piece of advice they think is the right piece of advice, but they have a little bit of their own intention put into that because they know you on a certain deeper level. That's uh, that's great. Or they think they know you on a certain deeper level. Sure. Unless you've told them. And I think like, <clears throat> you know, I always try to ask, like, is this something that you want support with? How do you want to be supported? That's a great question to ask, that I ask a lot of my clients in relationship. Mm. Um, if they're in a partnership, like what is the best way that, you know, this person can love you? What's the way that you want to be loved? And a lot of people get caught up in that answer. Like, I'm not really sure. I never thought of it. And I'm like, well, if you're having struggles and you don't know the answer or like you don't have your own playbook of like how you want to be loved then and you're fighting, you're having arguments, it seems a little bit unfair to right. that person. And so probably need to spend some more time figuring that question out mm. and then working through that. And a lot of times we just try to work through it in our own heads, which is a really crappy place to be because we're not able to hear ourselves say it out loud. When you like mm. say something out loud, you hear it. And so you can hear like, oh, yeah, that is actually how I feel or eh, that didn't sound right. That's 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 not it. And you can start to develop a relationship with that intuition. And then you can take the truth of that and express it to someone. That's awesome. I think uh, a lot of people are going to get a lot of benefit out of hearing you hearing you speak about this. And if someone's interested in learning more or, you know, pursuing this kind of this kind of work, what's the uh, the best way to get in contact with you? Uh, you can go to my website. It's mikeidella.com. I lead uh, six-week men's groups, about okay. four or five of those a year. And then I do one-on-one coaching um, for men and women. Sweet. And, yeah, I guess if anyone's resonating with uh, with your words, I think that's a great path for them to pursue. Yeah, I, I really, you know, I love hearing from people who are interested in coaching. Um, there's a spot on my website for a free 15-minute intro call. And if you're even the slightest bit curious about what it could be, I highly re- like recommend you to reach out. I'm not going to try to sell you on anything. I'm not going to try to push anything on you. I just would love to learn a little bit more about you and answer some questions. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you, Mike. And I'm definitely going to listen to this one over a couple of times <laughs> and try and impart some of your wisdom in my own life. So thank yeah. you so much for, uh, for joining and sharing all your knowledge. Yeah, thanks so much, brother. It's been great. Yeah. All right, man. Stay wild, y'all. Shazam. That was so beautiful.